Hi, this is Stu, Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. Uh, as you may know, we haven't put on an episode in more than a month now. Uh, there's some personal things going on in my life that are now finally being resolved. Uh, if you want to know what those are, you can go to the forum and find out. Uh, this show is not about my personal life, so I'm not going to say it on here. Uh, I recorded this solo episode about like six weeks ago. Uh in the event there was an emergency, and then I completely forgot it was there. Uh, otherwise, I would have put it up like two or three weeks ago. But here it is now, so at least there's something. The show is not going away. It's not pod fading. I just got to get to the point where I can do it again. So here we go. This is not a normal episode of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. If you were expecting a normal episode of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, you should skip this one. joining me happy jack's rpg podcast i was gonna call these bonus episodes but this isn't a bonus episode because it's just me it's more like a penalty episode so we'll call it the penalty episode this will be penalty episode number one uh doing these for two reasons first reason is every so often you know we miss an episode and a lot of people grouse about the fact that there's no episode when there's things like the fourth of july or someone's sick or things like that so in those situations, um, if I can, I'm going to try to put a few of these together. Um, and basically what I'm going to do, uh, as we, we mentioned in Season 12, Episode 12, which at this point was the most recent episode, um, we had, uh, we, we've had months of backlogs of emails. So we're going to try to, we're basically going to kind of fast forward. And what I'm going to try to do is get some of the straggler emails that didn't make it into the episode um, and put them here. I won't be able to do all of them, probably, because just this week, which is the first time I mentioned the email address on the show, uh, we got about four times the number of emails we normally read in, in an episode. So that's already kind of backfiring on me. Anyway, uh, I'm going to get right to it because there, there was a, f- a couple of couple of emails I wanted to hit. Uh, but first, uh, if you have not yet uh, taken our um, survey, you can go to um, the happyjacks.org slash 2014 survey, all one word, and you will find um, about a, oh, probably 10 question, 15 question survey about the show, the content of the show, your listening habits <clears throat> and such. Basically what I'm trying to do is, and we've done this, this is the, I think the third or fourth time we've done this, is I'd like to kind of see where the content of the show is, how, how is that in line with what the audience is looking for, and, uh, and what we can do to basically change or you know, modify the show to make it more enjoyable to more of you. Um, I'm looking at the results right now. So far, we've had 203 responses, and this is on uh, August 7th. So um, I am kind of stunned um, by some of the things that I think we cover quite a bit that people want us to cover more. For instance, I'm not going to go through the whole survey now. I'll probably do that in a later in a later episode when we get a few more responses or when I've had more time to kind of digest it. Um, 
general GMing tips and techniques, 29% think uh, the amount that we talk about this is just right. 42% think we should have more of this, and 29% think we should have much more of this. So that's like, what, 60, 71% of you saying we're not talking about general GMing tips enough. Uh, and there was one other one that was... Oh, NPC creation and portrayal tips, which we've talked about, but clearly this is something people really want. Uh, 30% of you think we're talking about it enough. 47% of you want more of it, and 21% want much more of it. So with 60, again, there's that 68% don't think we're talking about it enough. So I thought that was that was fascinating. So, And that, and that is stuff that will come up in the... Uh, that will the information from this will filter its way into the content of the show. Uh, also, um, people have left me uh, numerous and long. What what a surprise! Our listeners leaving long messages, uh, uh, long comments about ways we can improve the show. Um, most of them were like, "This is just too awesome." Don't change a thing. It's great, which is fu- which is fine. And I mean, that's very flattering. And thank you for that. Uh, a lot of people were very honest about. Uh, what they thought needed improvement, and you know, working behind the scenes to get some of that stuff done. So, I appreciate those of you that have taken the time to give us your feedback on that. And I would like to read an email from. Oh, he has it. He has a moniker, and I forgot it. Veramond. Veramond sending in an email: the amazing jailbreak, or how my players floored me in an unexpected way. They kicked his chair over. Anyway, uh, about two years ago, I ran a Pathfinder game with a different gaming group. I assembled from people I knew mostly from my college classes the previous year. The players were as follows. My girlfriend at the time, a friend I made through my theater classes, and who coincidentally lived two doors down. Her long-term boyfriend, a socially awkward young man who just didn't know any better, and a pseudo-intellectual borderline hipster type guy, in other words, an unorthodox crew that would make the seamen, that's the sea team out there in uh, the great uh, breadbasket of the United States, uh, shake their heads in disbelief that I got them all together in the first place. The characters were as atypical as their players. My now ex-girlfriend played a half-druid with a bit of an attitude problem. My one friend played a human male cavalier who was arrogant, full of himself, and constantly got into arguments, fistfights, with the halfling. My friend's boyfriend played a gnome summoner who was uh, quiet and kind-hearted, and he played an Eidolon, oh, he explains it good, extraplanar creature bound to a summoner that was essentially a winged snake rat thing. The awkward young man played a catfolk rogue, very, um, with a bad habit of stealing anything shining and tried and usually failed to win arguments by using his intimidation skill at the worst possible moments. And the pseudo-intellectual borderline hipster played an orc barbarian with an abysmally low intelligence and even worse body odor. This band of misfits went on to pull off one of the most daring, insane, and by all rights should have killed at least one of them daylight prison breaks I have yet to see its equal. 
The party had been coerced into breaking out a dangerous terrorist-slash-mad bomber out of an inescapable Blood Bay prison located on Dragon Tear Island. Dragon Tear Island? I'm going to go with Dragon Tear. This prison was famous for its unique design that essentially had all the prison blocks in an open-roofed environment and an even more unique and elaborate guardian system which at the time had zero successful escape attempts in its near century of operation how unique these are these defenses we'll get to that the players were forced into this situation because their nemeses nemeses had taken the gnomes parents hostage and would only release them unharmed if the terrorist was busted out the characters begrudgingly agreed to this task and begin their planning. The Cavalier agrees to infiltrate the prison under the auspice that he is the son of the land's wealthiest merchant, which he was, and meet with the warden to renegotiate the prison's provision contract. Once inside, the Cavalier is taken on a tour of the prison and learned of, the, its, uh, learned of its unique defenses uh, that being as follows. Aside from a complement of roughly a dozen guards, uh, the prison bolsters eight two, cell, two per cell block basilisks to act as prison patrol dogs turning to stone any escapees. These prisoners are left in their statue-like state to remind the other prisoners of the futility of escaping. Twelve carrion golems made by the warden himself from deceased prisoners to act as more formidable guards, four bone golems used to recapture any escapees lucky enough to avoid the basilisks or carrion golems, a powerful anti-magic field uh, for each cell block to prohibit, prohibit magic using prisoners from uh, using their powers or preventing prisoners from using their powers as well as four separate generators adjacent to each block powering each field for the respective blocks and which a single door to each generator had dimension door cast on them that would send whoever walked through the door into a different generator room and not the one the the person thought they would go into uh this last fact was unknown to the players after getting uh the dime tour the cavalier agrees to return in the morning with his quote unquote servant to order in order to engage in the renegotiations. The others, in the meantime, devise a plan to have the halfling be admitted into the prison as a new inmate being escorted by the half-orc and catfolk, <coughs> uh, disguised as prison guards, leaving the, the gnome to fill, out, uh, to fill the role of the servant to the cavalier. Once everyone is in position, the gnome would somehow disable the generator for the cell block containing their quarry cause a massive confusion, burst out the terrorist, and fly out of the prison using the gnome's enlarged Edelon as their getaway vehicle. A solid plan, agreed by all, and thus made their move. Now the plan, like this, could have a number of things go wrong, and I was honestly anticipating the moment when everything goes foobar, and the player's would be in a desperate struggle to survive. I was ple pleasantly disappointed. The ingress part went without a hitch. Each member of the party successfully infiltrated the prison in a way they had planned. The halfling was put in a cell block across 
on the other end of the prison to their target, and as predicted, had no access to her magic while the orc and the catfolk played up the part of being new guards. Meanwhile, the gnome and the cavalier meet with uh, the warden for their meeting, at which point the gnome excused himself for some plausible reason and entered the generator room for for the cell block he thought contained the target. Now, this was where it got interesting, as I had no clue how the player was going to shut down this generator. He had no clue that he was, in fact, in a different generator room than the one whose door he stepped through. This was... This was it. Everything the party had planned up to this point hinged on the gnome and his shutting down the generator to the cell block, and I admit I was curious to see what he was going to do. At this point, the gnome's player quirks his head in a curious fashion and proceeds to ask me this question. If I cast mage armor on the generator itself, could I, in fact, cut off the flow of power from the generator to the cell block? The room got silent as everyone at the table looked around the table at one another and back to the player, drawing in a heavy breath. After um, a beat, after a beat, all eyes turned to the end of the table where I sat behind my GM screen and, and laptop. Another beat of silence passed as I proceeded process the request and the proper response. As another silent moment passed, I stood up from my chair and looked the player square in the face and, resp- and responded. You can do that, however, because you are, chain- you are changing the spell's intent to block magic energy, it will require a more than difficult concentration check on your part to pull it off. If you succeed, then you will cut off the flow of power, fail, and you will burn one of your spells for the day. The players lean back in their seats uncomfortably as I give out this high-difficulty for the roll. Again, a heavy silence settles upon the room as Gnome's player picks up and casts his dice. The only sound for several moments is the clack, clack, clack of the d20 on the table to determine this precarious moment. After the die settles out, another moment of silence passes as the player begins to calculate the results. With a grin, the player utters out the resulting number that being two points higher than the target number he needed to succeed on this difficult roll. The other players let out a unified sigh of relief as the gnome successfully shuts down the generator. Knowing that the generator the players shut off was not the one he wanted, I looked down at my notes referencing the cell block, which cell block was affected. My eyebrows raised as I realized that the gnome had shut down the anti-magic field in the cell block that the halfling druid was put in. My gaze turns to meet hers as I inform her that she can now cast spells once more. The surprised look on the other players players is evident as they realize what has happened. With a smile, the halfling player simply says, Babe, I cast Burrow. At the instant I see her plan, she effectively pulls off a Bugs Bunny and begins burrowing under the ground of the prison in the direction of the cell's target. The other players be, uh, begin to spring into action as well. They begin their distraction to draw attention away from the other cell block by releasing the prisoners in the deactivated cell block, prompting the prison security to move into action. Meanwhile, the gnome figures out the dimension door pattern and gets himself inside the generator room uh, with the cell block for the target and once again casts mage armor on the generator to shut it down. Another successful concentration check and the anti-magic field shuts down in time for the halfling to emerge in the cell of the target. As the carrion 
golems, and the basilisks begin to emerge to stop the inmates and potential escapees. The players begin to make their escape from the prison. As the halfling, orc, and catfolk and their target meet up, they are cut off by a basilisk. After uh, initiative is rolled, the halfling goes first, and with a grin she casts a spell that effectively turns and built basilisk into a baby, which causes it to run off. Once again... Uh, the players manage to circumvent the security in a fairly ingenious way. As the group meets up with the gnome, they decide it is time to make their exit. At this point, the enlarged Eidolon flies down to the open roof, allowing the players and their quarry to escape, while the cavalier plays up the chaos of the breakout as his means to escape the prison unmolested. A short time later, the party meets with their enemies and exchanges the prisoner at an undernourished and ragged-appearing halfling woman uh, for the parents of the gnome. As the enemies depart, the, ter- the, terrorists, the terrorist turns to the halfling druid and says, Mommy is very proud of you. At that, she departs, and the session ends. The shocked looks of the other players as the reveal happened might have been a sweet moment for me. But in honesty, I found the entire scenario to be far more satisfying experience. Not only did my players come up with a solid plan, but they cleverly got around the dangerous situation that could have ended up with at least one dead player, and more so, did it without killing a single enemy. Uh, I couldn't hold back a grin. It was impressive, and to say the least, I was extremely proud of all my players, because this was their first serious campaign. That's right, I formed the group of relative novices who were interested in playing, but at most played a session or two before I came by. The Blood Bay prison adventure was a milestone in a lot of ways. It revealed a major plot point for one of the characters. It proved that I was ca- I had that I had capable and clever players that really knew how to make a memorable session. It was also uh, to date the only time where I rolled out a battle map and designed a location that was fully fleshed out and populated and of a perfect example of the and of a perfect example of yes ending and brilliant coincidence to create an amazing moment in gaming so some additional facts about this game to be honest i used forming this group as an excuse to spend more time with the girl who played the halfling druid and eventually start dating her the campaign also probably could have Continued on to this day had I not left for Florida on my Disney internship. And finally, my favorite thing that came out of the game was this exchange. Halfling. Why did you have to throw me into the dungeon, Cavalier? You hit me with your tiny fists. There you go. Great story, Vermont. I like the uh, prison breaks. It's very... It's rare, I think, for a GM, often, to let players get away with a complicated plan. A lot of GMs will look at their plan and think it's far too complicated and there's far too many roles to be made and a lot of times they will look not necessarily look for opportunities to sabotage the players but get very hard-assed about about the roles uh, and what has to happen and I don't know, There's sometimes there's like, there's the belief that if the that everything must hinge on a series of successful roles by a bunch of different people. Of course, a great plan is going to be one that is going to have contingencies for any of those roles being missed, because if you have someone shadowing someone and he happens to get spotted, well, because he he missed his shadowing role, 
they need to have a contingency for that. Very often they don't, but you know. But uh, it, it's I think it's rare for it for uh, that kind of a complicated plan to actually go over. Usually they tend to come up with something. A lot of players tend to come up with something I think more straightforward. Like let's let's go to the front door and shoot our way in. Okay, break, and then off they go. So, all right, I've got another one here, and this is from uh, Len from Miami, and this is about social mechanics. So, if you're if you're one of those guys that screams when we talk about social mechanics, now's a good time to scream. I'll mute you. Hold on. Go ahead and scream. Okay. Hi, folks. Len from Miami, climbing on top of the social mechanics because, well, why not? Why does this have to be such a big deal? I mean, it's not like we're talking about armor class. <sighs> Why don't we just extend the social contract inherent in all RPGs to cover this mechanic? Across the board, the assumption is that player agency is in an RPG comes with some responsibilities. You aren't going to be a baby, and you aren't going to ruin the game for everyone else. Why not just apply this same idea to social combat? In the context of player versus player social combat, every player has to agree, colon, with the following. One, there are some things that my character can be conjoled or convinced to believe and or do. And two, there are some things my character cannot be cajoled or convinced to believe or do. Every player gets to decide which situation he's in on a case-by-case basis. If a player never lets his character be influenced by anyone, then you treat him the same way you treat any other power gamer who's trying to win rather than to play. You explain the issue to see and see if things improve. If the player doesn't change his ways, then, then he has proven that he can't be trusted with that much player agency. S- no problem. From that point on, he no longer gets to make the call and his character will be vulnerable to social skill checks. In other words, the player's veto right regarding social skill checks come with the responsibility to play fair. If you can't play fair, you lose that right. Simple. Honestly, isn't that kind of how we handle lots of stuff in RPGs? Who gets to play the character who has no family? Simple. The player who's going to work that background in such a way that makes him just as interesting and vulnerable as the one who has a bunch of dependent NPCs. Who gets to play the utterly broken combat monster? Simple. The player who's going to play himself as a pacifist who who does everything possible to avoid fights. Who gets to play the goofball character? Simple. The player who can play without completely derailing the game, etc. Well, I don't know. That doesn't happen with that last one. Not very often. Uh, this is the, it, It's the same with social combat. You have the right to make the call, just unless you prove yourself to be a dick, at which point you lose some amount of agency and any right to bitch about it. Shut the hell up, and next time, maybe don't be a dick. Take a drink. And debate away. Uh, there's. I'm sorry. There's no one here to debate. It's just me. I should get a beer, though, because I, I couldn't take a drink. Okay, I had a drink. And now i got one more email. I'm going to read this from Andy from Solihull, England. Um, I'm going to skip ahead a bit. Uh, he had a gaming horror story here. Uh, I was recently in a Savage Worlds campaign, which didn't exactly fulfill my gaming hopes and dreams. The GM was, a, was new to me, 
but he seemed to offer so much hope. He was an experienced GM, or he was an experienced GM, of many years. He was an interesting, knowledgeable, friendly, all-around nice guy to chat to. What could go wrong? Well, the alarm bell started ringing before the game ever started when he stated that he based the entire game on a novel he'd read. ruh uh, I thought to myself, a novel is a story that's already been told, not one that's going to be developed collaborative, collaborative, collaboratively with the group. My fears were soon founded. And we ended up playing the most railroadiest of railroady games I have ever played. I think the GM must have thought that player agency is a place to go to recruit players. <laughs> That's um, we should start a player agency. I, I, could you send me five players, please? These are all broken. Uh, firstly, we were told we could make our own characters, providing that is they matched one of the characters in the book. <laughs> this didn't stop at telling us what skills our character would have in gameplay. The GM would frequently suggest what our character would be saying or doing. Wow. Oh my God. Then there was a, the options during play. The whole campaign was a journey from point A to point B. Every time we tried to deviate, something would bring us back on the path. For example, party. Let's go to this town. GM. As you get closer to the town, you can see that the town is being firebombed and is almost completely destroyed. Party. Fine. We'll go back along the path then. And something like that happened every time we wanted to do something that veered away from what happened in his book. The most egregious example happened when we spent over five minutes planning how we were going to cross the bridge and then catch the train up north. The GM watched us, listened to us, and then as we were... Getting close, he said, as you approach, you see both the bridge and the railway line get blown up by dynamite. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. But that's not all. Some GMs like to roll behind a screen to afford them a little freedom. That's called cheating, and that's okay. Uh, some GMs roll in the open and take the dice as they come. This GM would roll in the open and then decide the dice wasn't going to... and then decided he wasn't going to accept the dice... Take this example. GM. You need a four not to be shocked. Me. I got a three. Plus this edge gives me a plus one on all such rolls. So I'm good. No, you're shocked. Roll on the fright table. Or the time I got shot... The, or the time I shot one of the NPCs causing massive damage. In Savage Worlds you can soak damage if you spend a Benny. He didn't have, any Benny, he didn't have a Benny to spend. But he rolled to soak anyway. Rolled fairly low. But only, but not only did he soak all the damage, he managed to soak up damage from pre-existing wounds. Interesting. So there... Where is that rule? I don't remember that. So there was the most blatant and infuriating fudging I had ever seen. And then there was the rules comprehension. I didn't want to be a rules lawyer. I didn't want to be that guy. But he rules wrong consistently but was inconsistent in their application on one turn he would have us roll a spirit to be unshaken the next vigor he would ignore wound penalties for for his own guys yet conveniently remember them for ours 
He would allow us to spend points on edges and then deny us their use. I would try to be polite and occasionally say things like, Oh, I believe you actually roll spirit. Or, Oh, is that a house rule? But he would firmly disagree with me and state that it's in the rules. Except it wasn't. I knew it wasn't. I could have quoted the page in reference at him, but didn't want to argue and be that guy. So I bit my tongue and found solace in sly smiles with the other players who were being equally generous towards the GM by not calling him out on his bullshit. Fortunately, the game is now over, and if he wants to GM again, I might just politely suggest he tells me what book it's based on and promise to read that on, that on condition that he doesn't try to get us to reenact it for him instead of actually playing an RPG. So now, on to my question. I've played in or GM'd games where there, there are players who have a thorough understanding of the rules and those that are happy to just have the GM lead them by the nose. Whilst at a con, the latter is often okay. But is there a duty on the player to read and get a good understanding of the rules for longer games? At what point does it become unacceptable to be ignorant of the system you're playing on a regular basis? I'd like to thank you guys for the show and making my commutes enjoyable, and a special thanks for the exemplary sound quality. So, so many podcasts sound like they're they're using microphones fashioned out of yogurt pots and string. Keep the good work, Andy. My For myself... I very much like it when the players know the rules because I have terrible reading comprehension. Always have. And I have to learn basically by rote uh, and repetition. So, I mean, it, I have a fairly good knowledge of the GURPS rules, but I also ran a GURPS campaign for a very, 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 very long time and read and reread and re-reread the rules over the course of four editions of the game. Uh, I don't have that sort of comprehension with probably any other game system, and very likely never will. Maybe even including the game system I've written. So for myself, and speaking for myself, I like it when the players know the rules, and if they're fairly quick to point out that I'm making an incor- I'm doing something incorrectly rules-wise. Or if I'm not sure if a, if a rule exists and a player knows for a fact that it does, and they can give me the reference very quickly, I'm all for that. I don't like waiting and thumbing through the book. Well, let's find the rule and read it, and let's stop play. And I'm not I'm not that GM. I'd rather just come up with something that seems fair uh, and takes the character, however the character was built, into account, and then let's. Resolve it and move on. And then maybe look it up later. Or, you know, when it's not your turn in combat, you can look it up and see if I did it right or not. But I I, I hate opening up rule books at the game. But if someone does have that kind of knowledge, very much like it. In our L5R game, um, Dave... I think it was originally Dave. Yeah, it was. Dave made a character who was a Shugenja. uh, And he he actually made the character that Kimmy ended up playing in sort of the first part of the, the uh, campaign. But I told him, I said, if you're going to run a Shugenja, you have to read the magic rules, because I have not read them. And I'm going to rely on you to know them. And 
I, I tend to do that a lot. Uh, if someone, I very much like to start games, especially games in new systems, start them small. And like, if I were to ever run Shadowrun, I would not have magic in Shadowrun. Uh, maybe the very first few game sessions might just be uh, like Street Samurai or whatever they call the augmented guys, and they can go and get in some fights and skirmishes and maybe go and solve some mysteries. And then if one of them gets killed, then they can make a character that deals with some of the other aspects of the setting. As long as they read those rules and come to the table knowledgeable enough to know how they work. I'll generally try to breeze through them as well and look through them, but I'm, I just have terrible comprehension. So I personally like my players to know the rules. I don't mind my players knowing the rules better than me, and I don't mind them correcting me in the middle of the game, as long as it's quick. That's the big thing for me. I know a lot of other people might say other things. If this email got read, and I apologize, it's kind of an intriguing question, and maybe I'll bring that up in a later episode. So anyway, thank you for the email. And I'm at 32 minutes, and I think that I'm done, because these are these little penalty episodes are probably going to be short when I when I do 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 them. So that's it. And uh, oh, if you uh, like T-shirts, there's a Happy Jacks RPG Podcast T-shirt you can get, and it's got uh, it says, uh, "Please stop talking to my experience points" on the front with a bunch of blood splatters on it. You can go to happyjacks.org/slash/stoptalkingshirt, all one word. Happyjacks.org/slash/stoptalkingshirt. You can buy that bitch. And uh, or you can go to uh, angryfolk.com slash store. You can buy that. And there's also Boggard CDs and there's Wives CDs. And eventually I'll put uh, Boggards and Wives t-shirts on there as well. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Um, but yeah, if you want a shirt, you can get them. They're 20, 20, between like 20 and 2350, depending on which size you get. Um, the, the, the very larger sizes are mostly sold out. Uh, I think I got plenty of three X's, two X's. 1X, large, medium's still got some and still got a few smalls. Um, and there you go. That's it. Thank you for listening. Uh, and g- give me feedback. If this was a stupid fucking idea, tell me it was. And I uh, might ignore you and do another one anyway. Or I might not. Because, you know what? This is really weird not doing a show with a bunch of people in the room. Or at least, you know, not talking to people over the internet or having a chat room. It's like I'm sitting here talking to myself. I don't know if I like this. I might be again. I cannot abide. Goodbye. 2,000 feet below, I heard the tunnel trusses go, and the timbers creaked and sagged overhead. Like the worst nightmarish dream, I saw the darkest, blackest scene, and I knew then that soon I would be dead. People think me suicidal, but the boss man has a bridle, and he holds it with a grip, both cruel and rough. For me children and me wife, I risk my lungs, my soul, my life, for the boss man, he pays me just enough. Keep your pity to yourself, bask in your megawatts of wealth, think nothing of the blood that feeds our wives. See me right there on the news, enduring endless interviews. While I wait here for the good air to expire Oh, my labor burns the fires 
sending power down that wire so that you and yours in comfort won't complain while the smoke it billows black from those tall satanic stacks while I work here in conditions inhumane but it's you who's cruel and mean with your gigantic plasma screen your conspicuous consumption drives me here Behind your picket fence As your porch light burns intense You know nothing of our plight Our pain, our fear Keep your pity to yourself Ask in your megawatts of wealth Think nothing of the blood That feeds our wire See me right there on the news Enduring endless interviews While I wait here For the good air to expire They cry that something must be done For the poor old souls to keep us safe and well Overhead in private jets They ain't done nothing for us yet As we toil in a black and sooty hell I hear workers overhead Trying to reach us for we're dead But those poor old souls more widows may create And they work through night and day To find the air gap where we lay So our families will have something to cremate Keep your pity to yourself Bask in your megawatts of wealth Think nothing of the blood that feeds our wine See me right there on the news Enduring endless interviews While I wait here for the good air to expire Keep your pity to yourself Bask in your megawatts of wealth Think nothing of the blood that feeds our wine the preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.